So let us pray, and then let us begin. Heavenly Father, as we gather, I ask that you would uh, establish your word through the words that are shared tonight, that you would clear up any misunderstandings or uncertainties about your word. There are so many different things and doctrines that people sometimes share that get confused. We ask you to, for us, pour out your Holy Spirit and, and take away the confusion. Heavenly Father, you are not the author of confusion. The enemy is. And so help us understand your word, to embrace it, that we might live it. I ask you this, Heavenly Father, for your name's sake and your glory and yours alone. Amen. All right, Second Peter chapter 2. This is a passage, I guess I need to give you a little bit of a background on where we're at and why this first verse kind of connects into the first chapter, and let me do that for you right now. It says in the first verse in chapter 2, but there were also false prophets among the people. Now, in the section before this, Peter was talking about the prophetic word made sure and the prophets that were confirmed by Peter and the disciples as they said what Jesus uh, was real, he became transfigured, he talked about all that right in this passage before and so it was a proof that those prophets were indeed uh, godly men but he says also that there are some who are false prophets and so not every prophet is true, now there's an Old Testament doctrine or, or passage that tells us the proof or test, testing if you will of whether or not a prophet is a reliable prophet or a godly prophet. Very simple test. He has to be 100% accurate. Easy enough to tell. If the prophet's wrong at any time, he's not a prophet of God. He's all, God's prophets are 100% accurate. That's the test of a prophet. And so in verse 1 we go, There are false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. There will be people who will give you the gospel watered down or changed or twisted or presented inaccurately. And it says that these folks will bring secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Here's the first little uh, thing that Peter says that seems to be controversial. When someone who is a false prophet or a false teacher is coming along, they don't always have a swift destruction. Now, let me share what he means by that. Because some people will say that there are false teachers out there and they don't get a quick destruction. The, the destruction Peter is talking about here it is at their demise. They're not going to be uh, blessed and given great uh, reward when they mislead people with heresies, their destruction will be swift at the end. Not necessarily in our lifetime on this planet, but definitely in the end time. So, they will bring on themselves that kind of destruction. They have some folks, you know, have uh, capsized or turned over their own self and they were struggling with the truth, like... Uh, uh, Jonestown, he came across a pretty tragic ending, and uh, you may remember that story and that tragedy, the Jonestown tragedy. 
So he was a false prophet, a false teacher, and destroyed a lot of people. And he did get a swift destruction as he was part of that suicide pact and also died. The second verse. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth, because of whom the way of truth would be blasphemed. The way of truth being blasphemed means that they have changed God's word. They have changed the presentation of it, the heart of it. You can hear a lot of folks begin to humanize the gospel. It's uh, like someone when they say, well, you know, God would never do that to a person because God's love. That's beginning to take the focus and put it on humanity rather than on Christ-centered gospel. A lot of folks want to take God and make him a straw hat that they can put on, or a straw man, excuse me, and uh, make it so they can set him up and then tear him down like he's no longer valuable, or that he's no longer valid, or that he's weak. God is, is not to be mocked. He's not weak. What I've learned, and what I continue to understand, is that we reap what we sow. And if we reap false doctrine, we're going to reap uh, a false reward. And so, or a destructive reward, if you don't want to call it a false one, but not a true, holy reward. One of the things you'll find out in, in, in false doctrine, uh, bad teaching, destructive ways, is they begin to talk about things from a, a, a man perspective. They begin to take Jesus out of the equation begin to take things away from the truth. And when they do that, um, it sounds really good. It tickles our ears. It makes us go, yeah, I want to hear more about that. I want to know more about that truth. But the, the fact of the matter is, when, when people begin to say things just to make people happy with what they're saying and to get people to listen rather than presenting the truth, the sad thing is, is that that is very easy to receive. There are a lot of folks out there uh, in, in Christian circles who would, would promote the false truth, but it sounds real good. Um, some people go over the top with what, was, what we call a prosperity gospel, that, that if you really love Jesus, you're going to be wealthy and prosperous, or you don't have enough faith. If you are sick and you don't get well, they're going to tell you, you don't have enough faith. Well, that's just not true. That is not what the scripture says. The scripture says that there are a lot of folks who are going to be sick or um, unhealthy, but God can heal us. It doesn't mean that it's our lack of faith. We, we miss this up, and it's, and it's unfortunate because people begin to believe that they, they don't know who God is or who Christ is, and they begin to give up on themselves because their faith, they think, wasn't strong enough. I had a guy at work one time where I used to work, and uh, I came in one day, and I was hacking and sneezing, had the had a pretty bad chest cold, and I walked up to him, and he's a believer, and he said, and I said, man, I just feel rough. He said, no, you don't, you're not sick. And I said, well, I'm coughing, you know, and I don't feel well. And he said, oh, but you're not sick. You're, by Jesus Christ's stripes, you're healed. So you need to just tell the sickness to go away because you're healed and you're faithful. Make that go away. So, uh, so I tried that method, and uh, I didn't get better right away, so I'm thinking... Either he was uh, telling me a, a wrong information or 
there's something wrong with my faith, one of the two. So what do you think? Do you think that those who say your faith isn't strong enough, therefore you're not healed, are actually misleading people? I think a lot of times they are. So, that's a blaspheme, if you will, of the truth of the gospel. Scripture says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's not going to be easy-peasy pie in the sky for believers. As a matter of fact, if you really promote the faith, and you promote it in circles where it's not welcome, you will be persecuted. This world will get difficult. You can count on that. And that's okay. Because that is something that is expected. Jesus was persecuted. We're no, not better than he is. And so, if he was persecuted, we'll be persecuted. It's the same message that people do not want to receive. They do not want to hear, repent and believe in the gospel. This is the message that irritates our world. That they think believers are promoting a false uh, sense of love and kindness. But the truth is, that believers are indeed supposed to repent and believe in the gospel. Now, if you share that with people, it means you're going to be able to see some of their ways and you may end up asking them to repent from something they're doing, to believe in the gospel. The fact of the matter is, if you present the gospel in truth, the Holy Spirit will do its work. The conviction of God will come upon them. So, don't water down the truth, don't take it out of context of scripture and present it the way you think it ought to be presented, know what you're saying and present it as truth. Because it's truth according to the word, then you know the truth is truth, because the word will back it up. And so, that's why he says many of them are going to follow their destructive ways, and the truth is being blasphemed by those folks who are false prophets. Now, let me let me say something about prophets. Uh, some of us are uh, akin to understand prophecy and prophets one way and, 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 and then prophecy another way. A prophet was simply someone who spoke God's word. That's what a prophet is, someone who speaks God's word from the heart of God. Now, then, if you speak God's word from the heart of God, you are speaking prophet work. You might say, but I'm not a prophet. I'm not prophesying. A prophet is someone who speaks God's word. That's what it is. And that's what they are. Now, you might say, but I thought a prophet had to prophesy. Prophets teach. Prophets encourage. Prophets would heal. You will see all these different things that a prophet would do throughout our scripture. They weren't just to prophesy. Prophesy is one of the gifts they have, but it wasn't their only thing. That they did. They were also to divinely interpret the word of God that was already presented and understand it and help others do the same. So a prophet is someone who teaches, presents the word of God, and tells God's truth. And yes, there are some people who take the word of God and put their own interpretation on it. But Peter said, prophecy is not of our own interpretation. It's from God. It's our, not of our own uh, desire to make it what we wanted to say. So, in verse 3 it says, By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. 
this this verse is pretty simple for me to explain is that people will deceive you with deceptive words and they will exploit people they will take advantage of your ignorance people will assume that you agree with them and and they'll and they'll get you to follow along with them and they don't want you to prove text the most important thing you can do on any message is proof text and make sure you know your scriptures stay in the word be faithful to the word and when someone says something that isn't in line with scripture say hold on i don't think i can accept that because if it isn't in line with scripture there's something wrong with what they're saying and if it isn't in line with scripture and good sound uh understanding of what it means and, and you're going uh i'm not sure that, that's a good warning sign that you need to be careful about what this person is trying to present. But they're trying to exploit people, and, and it's real easy when someone is saying, follow these three steps, and God will do this blessing for you. I've, I've seen evangelists do that. I've seen them say things like, if you'll send us in a donation, we'll send you a first car if you put it on the TV and, and on yourself, and you'll get a healing. Because we've prayed over that scarf. I've seen that before. And people will be led to donate a certain amount of money to get that purse scarf. And then they'll expect a miracle that doesn't happen. That's exploiting people trying to get something from them. If someone's trying to get something from you. And they're saying that for you to get a blessing of God. You have to do this step to bless them. There's something wrong. Now, again, good ministry should be supported and uh, uplifted. But someone asking for it and saying that you need to do this for you to get a blessing, that's a mistake. The giving we give is out of a heart that's grateful from a blessed God who blesses us. So that deceptive words, and I'm just using a, a, a simple example here about this. But it, what he's saying here is for a long time their judgment has not been idle. God has already judged these folks and their works. Their destruction does not slumber. It is not going or will not slumber. Some translations say it will not slumber when it comes because their fruit and their root are not in Christ. Thankful. I'm thankful for that. That God doesn't let people who pervert his word go on uh, unpunished if you will or without consequence and now he tells why in verse 4 if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah one of eight people a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And there you go. So, a lot there in those uh, several verses, but it's all one sentence, what I just read. 
if God did not spare the angels and did not spare the ancient world and did not spare the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, then you've got to understand that we're no different if we're false prophesying or perverting the gospel or leading people astray. Jesus even said, if someone's going to lead someone away from the kingdom, it's better that a millstone be wrapped around their neck and they be thrown into the ocean or the water and drowned. Why is God so serious about this? Why is Peter so serious about this? Because the gospel is a free grace. It is nothing you've earned or done, and to make you have to do something to be able to receive that blessing is not going to be something God would uh, not leave unpunished. And if God didn't spare angels... Now, here, here's the section where I thought a lot of people might have questions. It says that God cast them down to hell, the angels who sinned. <laughs> now, I've heard a lot of people say that angels can't sin. I've heard a lot of people say, well, is that the angels that were cast down into uh, hell when Satan fell? I've heard people say it was one-third of heaven's angels that were cast out with Satan. Now, I will say this. Scripture does not clearly say it was one-third of the angels. There are places in Scripture that elude you, like Revelation 12, a third of heaven fell with Satan. It does not say that that was a present tense, a past tense, or a future tense happening in Revelation. So we don't know for sure all about what this is, but there are some... Uh, Writings, if you will, some of them lost books of the Bible that talk about um, what Satan did, what happened, and how the angels were removed. And those writings are what people promote as the gospel truth that aren't in Scripture. But it's become an oral tradition where people say, well, yeah, Satan fell, and the third, you know, he wanted to be like God, and so, and he convinced the angels to follow him, and, and the third of them went, when God kicked him out of heaven. He kicked out a third of them with him. That's in those ancient writings. It's not in Scripture. But people promote this like this is true, and they, and they hold it as their doctrine, and we don't know. That's the fact of the matter is we don't know. Obviously, we weren't there. But it, it, it is recorded in those things that this is what might have happened. But it's not in Scripture as canon as true. And that's one of the reasons, because they don't know. That's why they didn't put it in there. However... I do have to say this, that the people who are aware of things that happened before uh, creation and uh, before the, the fall of man, we do know that Satan was cast out of heaven and that angels did go with him, that he did take some forces with him. We don't know how many. And uh, one of the things that we also know is that the reason Satan did that is he was trying to exalt himself higher than God. When we begin to understand that he couldn't do that, and God wouldn't allow that, we begin to find the truth of the matter.
The fall of Satan may have been what Jesus alluded to in Matthew. When the disciples went out and were casting out demons and the sick were being healed and the dead resurrected, they came back excited. And Jesus said, Oh, you think that's great? I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky, from heaven. Now, they're talking about in that passage, the disciples, how much joy they had at the authority they had over the demons and everything. This authority was what Jesus gave them. And when Jesus said, well, this is how I used to understand that passage. Well, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I thought it meant that Satan was doing some dirty work around the world where Jesus was. And, and those guys kind of shot him down. The disciples shot him down from that work and he just fell down because uh, he was being... Uh, bruised by the disciples and, 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 and that's not what it was all about but in my mind I thought well Satan's pretty mad he's coming back down he's falling from heaven coming down to earth going to go and go after them disciples now it's not what that passage is about Jesus was there when Satan fell from heaven like lightning he was there he saw it he knows what it looks like and he, and he was a witness to that and so, when Jesus was a witness to that, what we don't get as 2,000 years later, and, and what Jesus said when he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, is the opportunity to face-to-face ask Jesus, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about? But Peter and the other disciples had direct contact with the Son of God on a daily basis. So, when... Peter says, if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, he got that from the authority. He didn't get that from an ancient writing. He got that directly from Jesus. That's where he would have been able to find that out. Otherwise, he wouldn't know where they went or why they went there. If you look carefully... In Scripture, you don't see anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus is talking to the disciples and other people about what happens to the angels. He doesn't talk about that angels are going to be in uh, judgment. He doesn't talk about that. He talks about ours, but he doesn't talk about theirs. So, if Peter's introducing this, and this is what we sometimes miss, is that the Scripture introduces stuff and we assume that, well, Peter's familiar with the book of Revelation, because that's where the angels are judged. But that wasn't written yet. He didn't have that. So he couldn't pull that source and go, well, you know, I was reading in Revelation the other day, and this is how I learned about this. And we missed this. And so we have to understand the culture in the world Peter was in is that what he knew, he learned from Jesus. He was a fisherman. He wasn't a scholar. As a matter of fact, he was a, he was a proud fisherman, but he was not a scholar. He wasn't well-versed in things. But he was willing to learn the truth from Jesus. And so this teaching about the angels, I believe Peter and the disciples got to hear and asked questions and, and what it was all about, and, and, and he could explain it to them clearly. Now, and that's that's awesome. Now we do know in verse 5 that Noah was saved in the flood 
that God didn't spare the world, but only Noah and his family were saved. And Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. That Noah was a speaker, if you will, of the truth and holiness of God in an ungodly society. Noah was a prophet. Oh, no, no, no. He just built an ark and he got out of it. Listen carefully. When Noah was building the ark, what do you think he said to the people? said, what are you doing building an ark in the middle of the desert? Well, Noah might go, well, you know, good idea. No, he didn't say that. He said, there's coming a flood. Now tell me that's not prophecy. And tell me that he didn't hear that from God. And I'm building an ark to save my family and the animals from this flood. So you better do something about it yourselves if you want to survive this thing in your families. You need to turn to God and pray he doesn't do this evil on us. You see, that's prophecy from prophet. But Noah, when he heard these words from God, was just repeating what he heard. That's what a witness does. They repeat the word of God faithfully and they don't add anything to it. So Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and what Peter means by that is he, he was trying to get people to be righteous. He was speaking righteousness to the people who were wicked enough that they didn't want it. So if he didn't spare, God didn't spare the world at that time that walked away from godly truth, from a righteous man. And he adds in verse 6, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he turned those into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, this is a nice verse, isn't it? If you're going to live ungodly, you're going to wind up in ash. No, 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 no. Forgiveness, Jesus. If you're going to live ungodly, like there is no God, like Jesus isn't your Savior, like you don't have a relationship with Him, you're going to end up like Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, now, did I just prophesy? No. But did I tell the truth? Yes. Did I share the truth of God? Yes. Therefore, I have just given the work of a prophet to you. It's not prophecy to repeat God's future for you in truth and in honesty if you don't repent and believe in the gospel. If you have wickedness in your life, get rid of it. Stop perverting the truth of God. This morning's message, we talked about some of the ways we do that. We say, I'm a failure, I'm worthless, I'm, I'm not valuable. Those are things we do to pervert uh, God's truth of who we are. So, the example of Sodom and Gomorrah turned into ashes... And by condemning them to destruction, show that God was serious. That if you don't live godly, there is a destruction. We have so many people who live godly lives, they think they're, they're going to get away with it. Or they don't care. Our world has so many ungodly people in it. And it's like, why are you doing this? Why don't you live a better holy life? 
But in Sodom and Gomorrah, like in the flood with Noah, somebody was delivered. One family. One family. The family of Lot, or Lot, as we like to call him. Who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Noah was a righteous man. Can you imagine his mindset when he all around him saw nothing but wickedness? Can you imagine that? Or when Lot would look around and see just wickedness? And he's trying to live righteous and holy before God like it matters and nobody else is getting condemned. They're all having their way and doing what they want. And they're going, God, I'm trusting you, I'm trusting you, I love you, I believe in you. But this world's going crazy and I don't see any consequences. And God says, it's coming. Yeah, I know, but how long, God? When? How? It's coming. You just keep trying to put it forward as the truth and saying the truth about who I am so you don't forget either. Don't you go astray. Don't let this world take away from you what I've given you, this holiness and this righteousness. And Lot, you remember the story? He brought in some visitors to his home. And the people of the town wanted them to come out. Lot said no. And they kept pressuring him. And pressuring him. And, and, they, and they didn't know these were angels. They just wanted him to come out and have sex with them. And Lot kept saying no. And then Lot said this. I'll give you my daughters, but you're not getting this. You can have my daughters. They're nice young ladies. You can have them. But not this. And Lot was unwilling to compromise the truth of what he is entertaining with God. He said, I'm not going to let you pervert God. I'm not going to let this... Because once we compromise the Word of God, who God is in our lives, we become tormented. In verse 8 it says, That righteous man who was dwelling among them as Lot, they tormented his righteous soul day to day. And he was seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. When you try to live for God, you're going to be tormented by the wickedness around you. And you want to do something about it. And you're going to say something and they're not going to receive it. And if you say repent and believe in the gospel like John the Baptist or Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. But those who persecute you are not persecuting you. They're persecuting the word of God in you. The truth of God in you. So if God knows how to deliver Lot and Noah and those who are being taken away by false doctrine, then God knows how to deliver the godly out of this temptation. Listen, if you are godly, God will bring a way for you to be out of that temptation to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Hear that. God knows how to bring you to the judgment as His, if you will let Him. And that's why that passage, uh, this section of the passage, if we miss it, we, we begin to make it something that's not about. It's about God wanting us to live a godly life. That those who are not godly will be punished. 
sooner or later, but it will be sure, it will be swift, it will be decisive. And he says in verse 10, And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. You know, I look back over my life and part of that verse describes me. I despise authority. I, I didn't hate them. I just didn't like it much. I had a friend who, when I was in college, if someone told him to do something, he would do exactly the opposite if they had any authority. He was a person who did not like any authority whatsoever, even if they were trying to help. And and it was it was to the core. Anything. Teacher, a preacher, a police officer, he didn't care. If you tried to tell him what to do and you had some sort of authority, he was not happy about it. But uh, he walked in the uncleanness of his flesh, in his uh, in his lust of his flesh. And, and trust me, his life mirrored that pretty bad. Um, and uh, most of his life been that way. And I don't know, I haven't heard from this man in 10 years, but 10 years ago, he's still doing the same mess. Still despising authority, still doing the wrong thing. Um, he'd drive down a one-way road the wrong way just because it said, don't do it. If it said uh, uh, on a certain vehicle, I remember one time, and this is uh, something that happened. Uh, he said, uh, my car, he drove a, a Grand Prix and he, in a very old 70s model back then. And, uh, and he said, uh, my car is not built for anything but highway. It's a factory stock car. And so I've been told that this car cannot run through ditches. And he said, watch me prove him wrong. And when I was riding with him, I'm going, no, don't do this. And he slammed it in down into first gear on his automatic and swerved off the road and started driving around these ditches off road. And I'm going, what are you doing? He said, they can't tell me what to do. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he was. <laughs> and I'm going, man, you're going to kill me. And, and yourself too, but me, I don't want to be a part of this. And he's going, I'm having fun. And they can't tell me I can't do this. This is fun. So anytime he was rebelling, he had a great time doing it. And he tried to drag me into that mindset, but I, God thankfully wouldn't let him do that. Um, but there are people who continuously, in more subtle ways, walk according to their flesh in the lust of uncleanness. They, they like, and I don't mean not showering. Please don't think that. Uncleanness means that you don't live godly. That you walk in ways that pervert your relationship with Jesus Christ. That you walk in the lust of uncleanness. As in you desire your own fleshly desires over your relationship with Jesus Christ. He says these folks are presumptuous, self-willed, and they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Oh, isn't that a good one? I really like that. Or, if you will, of those who are exalted. Even even the glorious ones of heaven. But I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little fun with this because I, I when I read this I, I liked thinking about this. I've seen so many people who are unafraid to speak disrespectfully of authorities presidents, uh, parents, other people, uh, even dignitaries um, of God, and, and like, like they're um, 
able to do this because something in them says, I have the right to say what I want, even if it's unhealthy or ungodly or makes me look uh, cynical. And so, maybe, maybe, you've never seen people say this, but he may be your president, but he's not my president. He may be your governor, but he's not my governor. That may be your mayor, but that's not my mayor. I don't have to do anything they say because I didn't vote for them. And they start saying bad things and wicked things about people in authority. Now, I didn't say that criticism or keeping people accountable is what they did. That they were speaking evil of them. Making assumptions rather than speaking the truth in love. Here's what scripture says we're supposed to do with our authorities and dignitaries and people who are messing up. We pray for them. Continually seek out their best and seek to help our world be a better place. If we are continuously living out a soapbox, or however we do the disrespect of dignitaries and those in authority, we've shown ourselves to be unwilling to learn and to be a person of love. A lot of people bandwagon. I don't know if you know what that means, but that means they'll start trying to find people who agree with their way of thinking and then bring more people on board so that they think they're right and they can continue to do that. And then that's how some people get a following by naming their uh, pet peeves or their own opinions and then asking people who believe to join them or or listen. Um, Talk show hosts that started off small and then became nationally chain syndicated got their following because people wanted to hear what they had to say. They liked what they said. Some of them were pretty good, some some not so good. But they those same folks though, when they speak, there's a lot of folks out there who speak in ways that say, I don't really care what anybody thinks about what I say in terms of how it reflects on my relationship with God, because I don't care about that. I'd rather you hear me spew this stuff than protect the relationship I have with God. Is it not true, and it is true, that we as believers are to speak the truth in love, in kindness, encouraging, blessing one another, or not say anything? That we're to esteem other people, not tear them down, not make them look bad. If we don't have an answer, we don't put the problem out there. How do I say that in a nice way? Um, If there's something wrong in this country and you go, well, this country is all messed up. I hate this country. I hate the politicians. I hate everything. And you never give a solution. All you're doing is beating the air with complaint. But if you say, you know, our country may not be the greatest uh, realm, but, you know, there's ways I can get proactive and begin to help people see a better way. Not tear down people but offer a better way. One of the things that people don't like, and sometimes when I say it to my kids, they don't like it, is when they complain about something, they say, oh, somebody just volunteered. Hey, there's something on the floor. There's a mess over there. Hey, glad you're volunteering. (laughs) Because God doesn't show you something without the intent of you to help it be better. 
I don't understand, I don't understand how we think that God is working so hard to show us. Um, like if we're driving down the road and we see a mess on the side of the road, and we just go, I can't believe how people are, and then we don't do anything to change our behavior. So when we see a mess, we don't clean it up on the side of the road. Or we don't go and say, I'm going to be a part of a litter patrol. Or I'm going to help clean up the rivers. I'm going to do something about it. Rather, we complain. i, I got to tell you something. I don't know if you know this or not, but I believe it's true. I believe heaven has a complaint department. I believe that. And for the last 2,000 years, it's been closed. He's not wanting you to complain. He's wanting you to grow, to learn, to change. The complaint department was run by none other than a man named Judas Iscariot. Oh, you don't remember his story? When Jesus was being anointed with perfume, what Judas said about the perfume... Oh, he opened up the complaint department. <laughs> and I love what Jesus said. Jesus said, that perfume could have been sold and the money used to give food to the poor. This is what we should have done with that. Instead of pouring all that expensive stuff on your feet. And Jesus, knowing what Jesus thought because he would steal from the bag, said, the poor you'll have always with you, but me you will not. And she's chosen the better thing. He shut down the complaint department. Judas didn't really care about what he was complaining about. He just wanted what he wanted. And that wasn't the only time he complained. And each time Jesus said, Listen, there's a better way than you saying what you think ought to be done. So let me, uh, let me go to verse 11. And this is a great verse. Great verse then on it says, Whereas angels who are greater in power and might than even the dignitaries do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Ooh. Oh, I wish I could pull out how this verse gets all over me and, and, and just encourages me to share it with you that way. It says, Angels who are higher in power and might have the authority, if you will in terms of the kingdom pecking order, over people. We know this because even John the Baptist, as great as he was, even the angels uh, were greater than he. So even the least in the kingdom of God are greater than John the Baptist. But here the angels are. They have the authority and the wisdom of knowing who God is. Because they see God. And they see all the heavenly realm, the spiritual stuff, and they see what the dignitaries might be doing as ungood, unhealthy, might be bad, might be against God's will, but the angels never, ever accuse them. And they never revile or speak bad to the Heavenly Father or anybody else about what they're doing wrong, and they could. They have the power to do that, but they don't. Now why is that? It's because they believe that the Heavenly Father is the one who takes care of judgment. Who takes care of the issues and the struggles in this world. And what we do as people, and as what angels do, is they present 
their concerns to the Father, not to the world, to the Father. And let the Father change hearts and lives. And he does that through prophets like you and me. So if an angel doesn't speak bad about any human being, why would you want to? You don't even have the authority to do so. You don't have the permission from God to judge another. As a matter of fact, he tells you don't. Don't judge anybody. Don't condemn anybody. And yet we do it all the time. If angels don't do it, then they must know something that we don't. And they do. They know why we shouldn't do that. And why we mustn't. And why we won't if we belong to Jesus Christ and truly give our lives to Him. But instead, we throw accusations out there. And sadly, destroy with our words people. And we'll give excuses as to why we did it. Well, you know, they hurt me. I'm going to hurt them. I was upset. I got upset. Spoke out of the top of my head. Didn't pray about it. I just spoke. Well, I want to close this and open it up for questions after I share a passage in Scripture. And this passage is tough. As a matter of fact, if it doesn't make you uncomfortable... You haven't quite got this yet. This talks about our relationship with Jesus Christ and how we begin to manifest that relationship with the world around us. And here's what he says. He's talking about the relationship with Jesus Christ and how we are to live it out. He says, what we are to do is to desire the best gift, yet let's choose an excellent way of love. And he says, love suffers long and is kind. Love never does envy anybody. It doesn't parade itself and say, look at me. It doesn't puff up and say how great they are. It is not rude. It does not seek its own or its own needs. It is not provoked. So if you're provoked, love is not active when that happens. Love thinks no evil, keeps no record of evil, keeps no record of wrong. Love does not rejoice in iniquity or sin, but does rejoice in the truth. Love does things, it bears everything, it believes all things of Christ, it hopes in all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. We fail. Love doesn't. Prophets will end. Speaking in tongues will end. Where there's knowledge, it will vanish away. Because right now we know in part, and we speak in part. If we knew as the angels knew, love would be a way of life, like 1 Corinthians 13 and everything we do. But I promise you, I can walk down the street or get on Facebook or any social media and there is going to be somebody who is rude 
angry, trying to manipulate, trying to make a profit or sell something that isn't worth buying. And it's going to be something that happens without regard to whether or not God would want them to do that. And I say this for this reason. Because it means we're exalting our own beliefs, emotions, and mindset even above angelic realms. When we say, these are the reasons I do these things, when the angels won't for any reason. The angels have every reason to say things, and they don't. We don't have reason. We don't know enough. We're not smart enough to know what God knows, or what the angels know, to begin to speak wickedly of anybody else, or to live an ungodly life and think it's okay. Let me, let me, let me, I just thought of this. This is really cool. Um, man, this is good. Um, and after this, I'm going to open it up to see if there's any questions. Um, the angels who are, refuse to speak wickedness of others and speak about dignitaries and others in any evil accusatory way, think about where they're from, okay? And I don't mean like they're in heaven, in the kingdom of God. That's not what I mean. Think about where they're coming from. They, who are the angels who won't do this, are witnesses of all the angels that rebelled against God and watched those angels kicked out of heaven. They watched this happen. They weren't blind to it. They saw God's justice and righteous judgment happen to the fellow angels that used to be with them. And they were cast out. Whether it's one or a hundred or a third of it, doesn't matter. They watched this happen. And so, if they watch that happen, they say, this is what happens even to angels that don't listen to God. And listen to something else that's not true. So they're not going to put themselves in a place where they're acting evil, or wicked, or accusatory. Not as someone who might be someone God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And everybody on this planet has been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ when they enter that relationship. And therefore it says, do not bring an accusation against God's beloved. None! No accusation against God's beloved. Don't say they lie, don't say this, don't say that. Do not judge them. Because you bring the condemnation on yourself. The angels saw that. And what happens when that happens, and they refuse to do it. We act like... There's no consequences for what we say and do. I think that's what Peter's trying to say here. I could be wrong, but I'm open to your comments, to your thoughts, to questions. Anybody say, you know, uh, you're out of your mind, anything. Um, and if there is, I need to know. I'm looking at the feed, so uh, any questions, comments, anything I need to clear up? Questions? Okay. Um, well, then let me say this. I'm, I'm glad you all came in for tea with Jonathan and stumping the past. So we're going to do it again tomorrow. Tomorrow, Next Sunday at 6.30, the next section in Second Peter. Look ahead. Look for questions. I, uh, I don't have to be right. I just want to learn and grow with you and hope this helps. And um, I also 
want to see the name of Jesus Christ proclaimed that people stop living for themselves, start living for Him. Stop living by emotional mindsets and trappings of this world, which are not going to be with us in, in eternity, and start living out of the spiritual relationship we have with Jesus Christ. And start letting that be our motivation for what we say and what we do, rather than anything else. I think if that would happen, our world would be a whole lot different. God bless you all. Thank you so much. I, I know the sound and my lips are probably a little off sync. I can't do anything about that. I wish I could. But thank you for being a part of this. Share it, if you will, with others. And, um, and I hope to see you again very soon down the road, Wednesday for Food Pantry. Next Sunday morning, 11.30, we'll be here moving forward in the book of John. Don't miss out on this. It's a follow-up to recognition from this morning. I think you're going to really like where John's going with this message. <laughs> I read the end of the book. It's really good. Okay. Um, so thank you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I ask you would help us to have the courage to live out the gospel in the way you say we can. I know sometimes we have to bite our tongue. Sometimes we have to watch what we say. Sometimes we have to let our emotions subside before we say anything. But Heavenly Father, if we got to do what we got to do to keep us from speaking a word in anger, let us do that. Help us to speak your truth and to love others even when it is uncomfortable, painful, or we don't even like them. Heavenly Father, that we would be a witness of who you are and the transformation made in us, which says you are making us loving people regardless of anything else in our lives. God, that's not always an easy message to hear or understand. It's not always easy to comprehend on how that's even fair. But you didn't ask us for fair. You asked us to love. Everything else is beyond that. We've added to it. So help us love like you love. Amen.